This morning we talked about John chapter 3, and we were in this discussion with John the Baptist and his faithfulness. The statement that he makes at the end that's taught often, said often, and it's not incorrect. The heart behind what is quoted when we quote this verse is so wonderful and right and good, but it's out of context and completely misses the point. Start in 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then this statement. How many of you have heard this before? He must increase, but I must decrease. It's quoted often. And again, it's quoted in a right heart. The quotation comes as we desire for Christ to increase in our lives and for us to decrease. Our desire is that that our flesh would continue to be submitted to Christ, that He would continue to rule and reign in our lives, and that the output of our lives would continue to be Jesus. This is right and good for us to desire it. However, when we quote this passage, we're missing the context. And so what I hope to do tonight is really bring in the context. So to do that, let's just read on. Beginning in verse 31. He just says... Uh, just refreshing again, Jesus has been baptized, right? And John's disciples have come to him and said, they're all going to Jesus. John says, this is right, this is good, that's why I was here, to make a way in the wilderness. And my joy is complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Now, follow it along in verse 31. It says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal on this, that God is true. Uh, for, the, uh, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Why would John say he must increase and I must decrease? We're going to see two things. So the first thing is the reason that John said what he said is not why we often quote it, but the reason that John said what he said is because John knew the necessity of the increase of Jesus. John knew that it was absolutely necessary at this point for all attention to be fixed on Jesus because He makes this statement that this is the One whom God has sent. This is the One on whom eternal life hinges. So it is right and good for the ministry of preparing the way to decrease. Why? Because He's here. So of course John would say it is time, it is right, it is good. This is part of John's faithfulness. He recognizes that I now must decrease because I have fulfilled my purpose and He must increase. And this is a, this is a wonderful statement of humility. This is John uh, who has the spotlight in many ways has been on Him. And this is John really elevating Jesus to the platform. There's no arrogance in this statement. John says, no, it's time. This is the one on whom you now should be focused. The, the reason for the decrease was because Jesus was in the flesh. And John recognized it and he knew it. On Him would hinge eternal life. He makes a statement in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
Whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we know that John understood something. John understood seasons. I spoke to you about that this morning. That the kingdom of God works in seasons. And John understood the seasons of the kingdom of God. John understood that there was a season where he had been called to prepare the way, but he also understood that that season would not last long, that there would be an end to that season because one was coming where the fulfillment of all things he was preaching was going to be in the flesh and his job was to point to him and bring him in and make him center stage. He knew that there would only be a short season of preparation because Jesus was coming. See, this all connects. If you read the Old Testament all the way through to the New, this is, this, all the momentum had been building to this point, to this statement. John makes the statement, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. The momentum of all of what God had done had been moving towards this central point of Jesus coming, living, dying, and being resurrected. And John was in tune with the Father enough to know when that season shifted. Enough to know that this time for me now is done and the time for Jesus is here. And I believe that it's this statement, He must increase, but I must decrease. It's this statement that gives us insight into John's understanding of the seasons of the kingdom of God. But it's also this statement that gives us insight into the ferocity of John's ministry. John ministered in a ferocious way. He ministered with a level of desperation that is not often seen. He ministered with an urgency that we don't, uh, again, we don't see very often. And I believe that the reason that John ministered with such urgency in his ministry was because John was aware of the appointed times and seasons that were ahead. John knew, though I'm in this moment, another one is coming. He understood the moment But he also knew that another one is coming. And so it created urgency, not fear, not trembling, but urgency and ferocity in what God had assigned him to do because it was for a season and another was coming. Let's read the words of Jesus because if we don't apply this here and in the season that we're in, so that's what I want to do is just understand the season that we're in and also hopefully raise up in us the same urgency Uh, Because we must understand the season that we're in, but also the season to come. Hopefully in that, receive some of the same urgency that we see in John the Baptist. So go to, uh, we're going to flip around a little bit. Go to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Okay, so John has now been arrested. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, now listen to what Jesus says. The time is, what? Fulfilled. That's a good word. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Go to Acts chapter 17. So Jesus says that the time is fulfilled. Listen to what Acts says about this same fulfilling beginning in verse 30. It says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere 
to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness, listen to this, by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So here's what really occurs is that God proclaims the gospel in the very beginning. The gospel is preached in Genesis chapter 1. God preaches the gospel. God speaks of Jesus in the gospel as He covers Adam and Eve uh, with sacrifice, blood sacrifice, covers in Adam, Adam and Eve. The gospel has been preached from the beginning. Always looking forward to this day when Jesus was going to come. All of history past was fixated on this moment of the arrival of Jesus. And what happened in those years that Jesus was alive is something tremendous. Because the standard of God, the standard of righteousness that He gave His people in the law, in those 33 years that Jesus was alive, that standard was fulfilled. Perfection and righteousness was fulfilled by a man of the flesh living in obedience to the Holy Spirit. The law was fulfilled. And so now Jesus becomes the standard by which all things in heaven and earth are judged. His fulfillment of all things past is what puts Him in the position to be able to be the standard by which everything is judged. So all of history really hinges on these 33 years where Jesus fulfilled the requirement of God. Right? John knew that those days were coming and pointed to Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law and now you and I stand in the wake of the fulfillment of the law. The law was once written on tablets of stone. It was written in front of people and they observed the law and their desire was to complete the law, but it was an external thing, right? God displayed the law, He displayed His presence, but the law was an external thing that they tried to serve. It was a difficult thing, and Paul talks about it in Romans 6, 7, and 8. He talks about his desire to fulfill the law, but being unable to do so. He says, I wanted to, but I couldn't. And, and he says, praise God, who will set me free from this trap. Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus. Now there's no condemnation in Christ, and we live in the wake of that fulfillment of the law, where now the law is not an external thing that we serve, but something that has now been written in us as the Holy Spirit now indwells us, right? That season of Jesus was 33 years of law fulfillment. But what we now have to understand is what we live on the backside of, which is that fulfillment of the law. We live in a different season than Jesus lived. Jesus is what made the way for this season that we live in to be possible. I'm going to fill that in a little bit, hopefully. I'm getting some blank looks, so let's go to the Scripture. So in Acts 17, we just read again that this Jesus is the standard by which all things will be judged, and God gave assurance by that, uh, to that by raising Him from the dead. So now go to uh, Matthew chapter 28. Just go back a couple of pages. Now listen to what Jesus would say. Now this is where we're going to see Jesus usher in a new season. And it's vital that we understand this because we have to grab it in order to have the same urgency that John the Baptist had. So um, in Matthew chapter 28, uh, beginning in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Remember, He fulfilled All authority now in heaven and earth has been given to Him. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
you flip over to Acts chapter 1. So Jesus has just said, all authority now has been, has been given to me. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus really draws a picture of a handoff, right? He says, all authority has been given to me. Now go therefore and make disciples. Who had the authority to send them to make disciples? Only one. Only one had the authority to send the disciples in the right way, and it was Jesus. All authority had been given to Him. He turns to the disciples and says, okay, now go. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the disciples ask a very interesting question. They want to know, as Jesus has now said, okay, all authority has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples. Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You need to wait because to do what I've asked you to do, you can't do it by yourself. You've got to wait for the power that I'm going to send you. It is impeccable that you wait for me to send the Spirit. And so that's His instruction is wait. And they hear this and their question is very interesting. They say, okay, so then this is the time that you're going to restore Israel. And Jesus' response is this, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by your own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We read that and we go, well, wait a minute, you just said it was important for us to know times and seasons, and Jesus appears to speak in contradiction to that. He appears to say, it's not important for you to know times and seasons, right? Well, they're both true. See, what the disciples wanted to know was that On this day, they wanted to know with specificity what God was going to do in terms of the restoration of Israel in a governmental way. They wanted to understand at what point would the structure be established where Israel would rule and reign. When will this oppression end? And Jesus' response is, don't worry about the timing of the seasons. He doesn't say there are no seasons. It doesn't say that this will continue for eternity. Don't worry about it because that's never going to happen. He says, don't worry about the timing of it. Be faithful in what I've given you. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit and do what I've asked you to do because those times and seasons are fixed and appointed by the Father. It's not that they don't exist. It's that the timing, the ebb and flow, the seasons of the kingdom of God exist in the sovereignty of God in His timing. And it's not important for the disciples to know when, but for them to be faithful now, knowing that it's coming. So why is that important to us? Why does it matter that there are seasons? Well, what we've got to understand is that we live in the wake of this commandment. Matthew 28 is a commandment also to us. Baptism of the Spirit, that waiting for that power to come, is what we live in the wake of. 
Because what Jesus did is that he abolished the dividing line between Jew and Gentile. And in Christ, he made one new man to fill with his spirit and then cover the earth. Why? Because he's coming. This is not an obscure commandment to make disciples of all nations just to occupy time, just to keep us busy. Make disciples of all nations. Why? Because I'm coming again. There's urgency in the words of Jesus to wait for the power to do what He's called them to do because Jesus is speaking about a time that will end. Beloved, we have to hear those words. This time will end. This season of us receiving this commandment to make disciples of all nations will end someday. I don't know the day. And he says clearly, I'm not to worry about the day that that's fixed in the Father's heart. But what knowing that it's coming should do is create urgency in the time that I do have. I told the youth this morning, and it's so true, I heard a man preaching and he said, you will waste your life on something. You you have no choice. You will waste your life and not waste in a negative way, but you will waste and spend, right? You waste resources and not necessarily a negative thing. Spending. You will spend your life on something. What is it going to be? And if, we don't, if there's not urgency in us about the next coming season, then I feel like we will be lackadaisical and frivolous in the way that we steward what God has given us now. See, because we can't just be people who receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and then just kind of hang out. We've got to understand that that equipping, that sending of the Holy Spirit to indwell me and then be released through me in all spheres of influence that I have is because God is urgently pursuing the earth for His glory. And if I really capture the heart of God, then I will also receive the Holy Spirit with the same urgency that God gave it to me. Because God gave it to me for a purpose. We've got to capture that urgency. It's why John was so, so adamant. Repent, be baptized, repent, be baptized. He was uncompromising because he knew there's going to be a day when over the horizon this man will come. And let me just tell you, there will be a day when over the horizon that man will come again. He is coming. And that should birth in us a fervency. Not to do work on His behalf. A fervency to spend well what He has given in the giving of His Holy Spirit. To, with urgency, plead the Father to be used by Him with urgency press into the Father and abide in His presence that the Spirit of God might have absolute control of me because the days of this season are short. Go to Revelation chapter 20 and I'll just read it to you. How's that? I'm just going to read, I'm going to read the first ten verses here. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads 
or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. They will reign with Him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. A new season is coming. A new season is coming. And Jesus spoke with urgency to His disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. Is it for this time? It's not for you to know when. It is coming. But wait, the power of the Holy Spirit has come, needs to come, for this task to be done, for this to be completed. So for us, we have to live in two places. We have to live in the present season. We've got to be consumed with the season that God has given us now. It is necessary for you to understand the uniqueness of today. I want you to think about this. I've said this a thousand times in a thousand places, but it is still something that amazes me. That right now, the moment that we're in has never, ever, ever, ever in the history of, of everything ever existed before. This moment has never existed before, and it will never be duplicated. It will never exist again. These are unique days. This is a unique hour. And there's got to be something in us that recognizes the uniqueness of this day and this hour. And with desperation, seeks the Holy Spirit for what He wants to do in us in these short days that we have. I don't say this to create fear. I say this to create urgency. That these days are numbered. But we have to live in another place. Because if that's all we live in, then the urgency will fade. If all we live in is the present, then the urgency will fade. We also have to live with the awareness of what is to come. That was the balance that John found that gave the ferocity of his ministry. He, didn't, he wasn't just consumed with what he had. We know that he wasn't because when the next thing came, he embraced it and pointed to it, right? When Jesus came, John with gladness celebrated the new season. So we know he had eager expectation of what was to come. This was the balance. And this is the balance that, that I pray that our Western church, that the church global begins to live in, is the balance that says we've been given unique and short days of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this season will only last a short time. But also, a new one is to come. And that's what creates the urgency in our ministry. There are unique days here in sundown. These are unique days and unique hours. Never in history to be repeated. Never in future ever to be repeated. God has created a unique hour for this church to be what it is in this city and in the nations. And we must with urgency pursue that purpose for now, knowing that a new season is coming. Well, God, I just ask that we would just get a glimpse of the season that is to come. 
And we just might look into your, deeply into your heart and know that you would not lie. You are coming again. You have not abandoned us. You have not walked away, but you are coming again. And you will do everything that you said you are going to do. God, I pray that that releases in us an urgency to be faithful today. To be faithful with this unique hour in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses. These days will not come again. You have purposed for us to live at this hour, in this day, and You have filled us with Your Spirit that we might do what You've called us to do in this hour and in this day. God, with urgency, may we pursue Your heart to fulfill all that You've asked us to do. Not by might or by power, but by You. By Your power, by Your might that is in us. God, I pray that with urgency, this church would pursue this community. God, I pray that You would do the miraculous here, as I know it is Your heart to do. God, continue to bring the broken. Continue to bring the hurting. God, continue to release the captives. Continue to heal the blind. Jesus, we love You and we thank You that we can trust You and that You're good. Amen.